0: Hello, this is David Gibson, executive editor of the Journal of Ecology. I'm at the uh, annual meeting of the Ecological Society of America in the hot, steamy Fort Lauderdale, Florida, in a freezing cold convention center. I'm with Charlie Cannon, who's one of our associate editors, and we're going to talk a little bit about the, um, the theme of the meeting and some of his research. So uh, welcome to the podcast, Charlie. Thank you, David. Well, thanks for talking to us. The, the theme for this meeting is Novel Ecosystems in the Anthropocene. Um, What's your understanding of the term Anthropocene?
1: I think it's as much for, to remind ecologists uh, that humans are uh, fundamental in any understanding of ecosystems at at this point in time. I think the paleoecologists would tell us that this has been true for millennia, if not tens Mm -hmm. of thousands of years, Uh, but certainly, you know, when I started ecology 40 years ago, uh, we went out of our way to study systems with as little impact from humans as possible. And, and we, we felt that was where we were going to gain our best understanding of ecological systems. And, and um, uh, I, I think we now understand that you simply cannot take the humans out of the system. And, and uh, regardless of what kind of uh, ecosystem or species you study, you're going to have to think about human impacts. And so I think it's, there's questions about when did the Anthropocene start? I think that's sort of beside the point. The point is we're in it now.
0: Yes, so so, so related to what you said there, I mean, do you think that some of the earlier research in ecology which only looked at Know, pristine ecosystems has, has missed the point. We've not understanding principles properly because we've not been looking at the whole suite of ecosystems. No,
1: I, I would. I think that work is, was, and is still just as important. It's like any experiment in which you try to control factors. And so, I think without an understanding of how the natural systems or how the uh, um, uh, systems with minimal human impact work, um, is the baseline we have to
0: use. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So to what extent do you think we are seeing novel ecosystems now then?
1: You know, this is an interesting question. I I actually have had a crisis of confidence in the last five (laughs) years. I I was asked to give a talk at at BES symposium uh, five years ago and and, um, basically reviewed the way I thought about eastern forests and and, uh, mostly global change impacts. And and I I realized that um, I concluded that um, these communities have never been stable in the past, that the the Quaternary, the the post-Pleistocene period, has been dominated by significant shifts in climate, significant changes in Mm -hmm. human impacts, Um, faunal assemblages have changed dramatically, and that vegetation was probably never in equilibrium with climate throughout that period. And um, so I've begun to start to think about just um, you know, we have very little um, theory for the dynamics of communities when there's directional change in the environment. We have lots of theory for when the environment is stable or when it oscillates, but um, I, I, the whole notion of novel communities, I think every, every thousand years of the past ten here in eastern North America, particularly, I work mostly in post-glacial regions, um, every thousand years we've had novel communities formed. And so I'm, it is a powerful motivating force for this meeting and for ecologists now. Uh, but I, I, I've i started to look at, at uh, much longer spans of time and, and uh, species are resorting and assembling in
0: new ways all the time, to my mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I see. Um, so related to that, um, you uh, have a, a paper with uh, several co-authors in um, Journal of Ecology this year. It's, it's part of our virtual Issue that we put up uh, associated with this meeting. Uh, it's called Climate Drivers of Sea Production in Picea Engelmannii and Response to Warming Temperatures in the Southern Rocky Mountains. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that research and maybe how it relates to the, the theme of this meeting.
1: Yeah, this is... Um this is um, based on a remarkable data set, a 40-year data set on seed production by uh, Engelmann spruce, a very important, uh, one of the important high-elevation conifers of the Rocky Mountains of uh, North America. Um, it's, it's the sort of data set that only comes out of, in this case the U.S. Forest Service, an institution with a long-term commitment to uh, understanding and managing these forests. Um, Arna Buchling, the, the graduate student who uh, was the lead author, and uh, had discovered this data set through talking to researchers, and, and uh, they were quite happy to have him take it and, and work it up. Um, I worked with Arna mostly on trying to find statistical models to understand this, and the unique thing is that with 40 years of data, you can actually start to ask pretty rigorous questions about how climate drives this system, and frankly, with with any with, with only even 20 years of data, we probably would not have seen the kinds of patterns. That, Arnold was very interested in asking questions about how climate might um, determine the temporal pattern and both, uh, both when these trees produce seeds and the quantity, the, the, the magnitude of the seed crop. And it turned out it was a very complicated but, but powerful signal in there that related to climate, both in the year the seeds were dispersed, so the dispersal year, the seed maturation year, the previous year, and an initiation, sort of a priming year, actually, the, the year before. And um, there was a long-term, um, and so you had to take into account climate in all three of those years to be able to understand the, the size of the seed crop in, in the current year. And um, there, was a, there was also a long-term trend in the data for seed rain, for temperature had increased by about um, one degree over the 40, degree C over the 40-year period, Uh, an even larger increase in spring temperatures and seed production also showed a long-term trend increase, a significant, quite significant increase. But it turned out when you asked when did you actually get seed crops it required a very unique combination of basically a dry spring two years before and then a really warm summer the year before to create a high seed crop and um, this. You know the the paper goes into why we think this is uh, how the system works and and what specific hypotheses it tests, but it, it, it actually does suggest that engelman spruce might see higher seed production, but only at some point if if, if the. Um, summer temperatures the year before are above a certain amount, then you get almost no crop. And if they're Mm -hmm. below, so it has to be above average, but only within about 10 to 20% above average. Outside of that range, you just don't seem, we don't see any seed crop production. And so, um, you know, there's a suggestion that warming temperatures might lead to more frequent and larger seed crops, but they might only occur within some range, and we're, you know, everyone's uncertain about just how much warming is going to happen, and so on the one hand, this, this the warming temperatures might actually um, uh, uh, be good for seed production, but up to some point.
0: Mm, interesting. Yes. Uh, and it didn't fit the, the conventional masting model either? Not at
1: all. And there's growing evidence that, um, you know, the traditional model of, of really bimodal seed production... Um, uh, S- synchronous and very large crops infrequently with nothing in between um, is not at all the pattern. I, I uh, published a paper a few years ago with some New Zealand seed rain data, only eight years and <laughs> a much shorter record. And we didn't see this either. Um, I've been um, collaborating with some colleagues in Austria and Poland who are very interested in these intermediate size seed crops and, and the relative importance to population dynamics of these. and. Um, uh, I have a 20-year record at the Carey Institute that we've been doing, mostly related to Lyme disease research. And again, we do not see that, that sort of classic textbook model of only you know intermediate or intermittent, but very large seed crops and nothing in between. And you know, when you start to think about things like predator satiation and, and pollination efficiency and the various arguments for the evolution mm-hmm. of masting, it's not at all clear to me that that these intermediate seed crops, Um, Negate those ideas, but
0: it's just that there's a more complex picture. As is often the case, it's more complex (laughs) and it's going to continue to get more complicated as the climate changes. Yeah, okay. So, so, um, related to this and and to the theme of the meeting, where do you think the direction of research is going to go from what what you've been hearing over the last couple of days?
1: Well, I'd go back to just
0: that we are seeing much more uh,
1: integration of social science for instance. So if, if if the Anthropocene is really an era dominated by humans, we ought to start to understand humans. So for mm-hmm. instance, in the work I do on forest dynamics in the Eastern US, um, well, I, I've, I, I used to study air pollution and pests and pathogens and and, and wind disturbance and all these things that might yeah. drive forest dynamics. I've discovered that human logging patterns, the practice the mm-hmm. actual kind of logging that's done is really what drives these forests. 60% of the trees that die in the eastern US die because they were cut down by a human. Mm. And I had been doing all this work without factoring in that, and just studying the unmanaged yeah. forests. And only 10% of our forests are never logged. Uh, the rest are all managed. and. So, you know, I joke that Martha Stewart is the most important ecological factor in eastern forests because change in the taste for the color of kitchen cabinets has a bigger impact on mortality regimes in eastern forests than any other natural or even inadvertent human impact because all of a sudden maples are popular and cherry is no longer popular. And so in the last 10 years, um, you you can barely sell a cherry tree and so they're not being cut down and now maple trees are being logged very heavily and there's no other no other indirect human or even natural process that causes that big a shift in the mortality regime in forests. And so I have to work with social scientists now who help us understand why do logging practices change. And it's not as simple as what would be good silviculture. It's what are all the Mm -hmm. social forces driving how people view their forests and what they're going to do with them. And so I think that we're seeing much more effort to try to really Think about humans as an ecological factor in, in, in uh, ecosystems, and I think it's a good thing.
0: Yeah, I think we've seen that in some of the presentations this week and, and some of the work we're getting. Well, that's really interesting, and, and uh, um, thank you very much for talking to us today. I'm happy uh, anything to do else do it. you'd like to add? At this point? No,
1: I think it's been a great meeting. Um, it is warm out there, but um, uh, I actually really enjoy meetings that go to different places to very different climates, so I can see how very different climates
0: drive culture and, and I'm from the north and this is this <laughs> is a different, new climate yeah. for well, me. Well next year we'll be in Portland. So. Yep. <laughs> well again, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.